1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 16. If I could only share one message with if I could only share one message the rest of my life, it would be this one. It might not be this sermon. You know, there's a difference in a sermon and a message. There's a hundred or a thousand ways to preach about the same message. And in this series, God is Love, we're going to look at four ways. This morning, tonight, next Sunday morning, next Sunday night. There's a lot of ways to talk about the same message. But the message of this series, if I could only preach one message the rest of my life, undoubtedly this would be it. If someone were to say to you, describe God, what would you say? How would you, how would you describe God? The problem is when we're, we go to describe someone, we generally begin to talk about, you know, it's the guy with the dark hair. Or he's tall, or they're short, or they have blue eyes. or You, you begin to attribute to some physical description. This is what the person looks like. This is, this is how they, you know, the guy that wears the hat, or the guy that does this, or the guy that does that. We, we begin to, to fix to something visible, but the challenge here is, you and I have never seen God. So how do you describe God if you don't know how He looks? Well, if we can't describe someone based on how they look, then we start talking about what they do. You know, it's a guy that works in accounting. Oh, oh, oh yeah. You know, you know, it's a, she's the one who gave you the Christmas present at the Christmas party last year. Oh, yeah. It's the guy that makes the funny faces all the time. You know that guy? Or it's the lady who always waves her arm when she talks. Oh, yeah. I know who you're talking about. The lady who waves her arms when she talks. When you're trying to describe someone and, and the other person doesn't recognize from their physical appearance, we often begin to describe from their actions. As I look through the Bible, I realize something. Most of the descriptions that we have of God in the Bible are based on what He does. They're based on His actions. Think about the names of God that we have. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's the God that... Well, what does God do? Well, God heals. He's he's Jehovah Jireh. He's the God that provides. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's God our banner. He's God our redeemer. He saves. We describe Him based on what He does. So I looked up in the Bible this week, every time the phrase God is is found. The phrase God is dot, dot, dot is found 179 times. And I looked through several of those and and there's something like this. God is a consuming fire. God is a jealous God. God is a merciful God. God is your refuge. God is a holy God. God is my rock. God is gracious and compassionate. God is greater than man. God is mighty. God is exalted in His power. God is a righteous judge. God is our refuge and strength. God is the king of all the earth. God is seated on His holy throne. God is the strength of my heart. God is a sun and shield. God is my salvation. God is the God of gods. God is sovereign. God is merciful and forgiving. God is righteous in everything He does. God is able. God is the builder of everything. Almost every description I read, though, sounds something like this. God is a... Or God is the... We often describe God based on what He does. But if someone were to say to you, don't tell me what God does. Tell me 
who God is. Not what does he look like, not how does he act, but in his being. When God is in a state of motionlessness, when he's not doing anything, who is he? What is he? Is he human? Is he, is he plant? Is he animal? Is he angel? Is he star? Is he planet? Is he universe? What, what is God? We don't have to guess. If you were to try to figure out, if we could open God up and figure out what God's chemical composition was, how would we know what God not is, not, not does, but what, what is God? Who is God? 1 John 4.16 tells us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Do you see this next little phrase? Three words. Three of the most powerful words in the Bible. Three of the most important words in all the Bible. Can you say it with me? God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. God is love. Of course God loves. But God's loving action is not most who he is. He is love. What if God had no one to love? What would he be then? What was God before creation? Was God love then? When he had no object of his affection, he had nowhere to point his love, what was he then? He was love. God is love. God's not motivated by love. Love's not just what God does. Love is not God's attitude. God is love. You can see this because you can see that love is God's effect on people. You don't see the wind, but you see trees bend over. You don't see electricity, but you see its effect. You don't see God, I mean, you don't see God, but you see His effect. The wind moves things and pushes them over sometimes and destroys them. Electricity turns lights on so we know that it's there. What's God's effect? God's effect is that He creates loving hearts inside of hateful people. How do you know that you know God? How do you know that you've encountered Him? Because He creates loving hearts inside hateful people. Love is God's effect. It's the result of encountering Him. It's what happens in someone's life when they're near Him. You can't see Him, but you can see the effect He has on people. I remember when I was in high school, we had a janitor. I went to a a Christian school similar to Kingwood. It's a little smaller. And we had a janitor in the school who was uh, quiet. He kind of kept himself. His wife went to our church. And I remember once he got sick. He got really sick. He was in the hospital. She'd stand and give her prayer request. And we'd pray and ask God to, you know, heal him and everything. And I remember uh, once her saying, I, I, don't, I don't remember the story exactly how it happened, but I remember somehow it came out, she made this statement. He was not saved and he was sick and there was a concern that he might die. And she said, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray for him and I'm not going to eat again until he's saved. 
I do not recommend that. Sort of. If God speaks to you and says, do it, do it. I don't know how she came to that conclusion. I only know she fasted and she prayed and one day turned into another and turned into another and it wasn't long we began to hear the story of him standing in front of our church and she standing there and he was recovered and he was out of the hospital and he was better and he was well and he'd invited Jesus in his heart and his life had changed. But you know what happened? That guy who was quiet and stubborn and kind of mean and introverted became one of the most joyful and loving people I'd ever known. God's effect on his life was love. And he began to have a relationship with the students in the school. We began to get to know him better. And he started to come to church. And he grew in Jesus. And and it's the funniest thing. I can still hear him singing in the hallway. And I don't remember him ever singing before. And he couldn't sing good. That's why I remember it. (laughs) But I remember him singing in the hallway. He never had a song before. But what God did is the effect God had on his life was love. Is it any surprise when you read Galatians chapter 5 that the first fruit of the Spirit is love? Galatians says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, there seems to be a grammatical error in there because it says the fruit of the Spirit, then it lists nine. Like saying, this is my kid, Johnny, Mike, Tim. Wait a minute. This is your kid. How many kids do you have? This is the fruit of the Spirit. In the Greek, it's singular. Some people say that the expressions of the fruit of the Spirit are found there, but there's actually only one fruit that all the other expressions come from. Some people say that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that the other things that you read about in Galatians are actually expressions of love. So it might sound something like this. Joy is love laughing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love's revealed nature. Kindness is love's tenderness. Goodness is love being. Faithfulness is love in action. Gentleness is love's stand. Self-control is love showing restraint. Either way, God is love. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, and I want to show you something. If you're taking notes, put a little note section on the back of your bulletin. I tried to take notes for a few weeks, and I realized that I couldn't remember what my thoughts were because they were like this around the edge of the bulletin. So I thought I'd give you some blanks there. God is love. God is love's effect on people. Love is God's effect on people. In 1 Corinthians 13, 3, 1-3, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Do you get some sense that God puts an enormous value on love? This is a big deal. Faith that moves mountains. I hadn't seen any mountains running by the foyer lately. Faith that moves mountains. If you give every last shred of possession that you have to the poor today, 
and you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. Is that an amazing statement to you? So you can become like the richest person on earth and actually touch and bless more people with your material goods than anyone the world has ever known and look God eye to eye at the end of time and he says, nothing. All of that meant nothing. You can cast out demons, heal the sick, pray, preach, minister, serve, share, intercede, fast. But God can look at the end of your life and summarize it as nothing. That is really profound. Nothing? All of that was nothing, but everybody told me it was the right thing. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Everybody told me I was on the right path, but it could still mean nothing. You and I can do all the right stuff, but without love it won't matter. As we move into the future, we can try out like a hundred really cool ways to do church. We can do video and sight and sound and smell and touch and taste and big group and small group and this group and that group. Reach out and reach in and reach up and reach around. We can just go schizophrenic. We can try all kind of stuff. We can grow numerically. This church could double or triple or quadruple or or get bigger than that. But you know what God says about it? Without love, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything to Him. (laughs) There's only one way for us to flourish in God's kingdom. There's only one way for us to move forward. And there's a different measurement for it than the world measures. They may measure by uh, finance or attendance or seats or chairs or carpet or property or possession. But God doesn't measure any of it that way. God measures it by the depth of love found in it. And if there's no love in it, it's not real kingdom growth. It's not real kingdom growth at all. Nothing's really going on. God's kingdom only flows one way. It's in love. Love is the foundation for all of the life of God in us. This was the rebuke that Jesus gave the church in Ephesus in Revelation 3. Do you remember that? He said, I love the fact that you hate false doctrine. And I love the fact that your works are good. But I've got something against you. You forgot your first love. You forgot your first love. You're lacking in love. You love the wrong things. You love to hate false doctrine. You love to do good works. But I didn't ask you to love either one of those. What I asked you to do was to love me. And you've lost that. It's God's love that causes him to move toward us. It's by love that he forgives us and changes us. God's love draws us to him. And God's love in us propels us toward him. There's only one way for this church to grow. I mean, there's a lot of ways for it to grow. But there's only one way for it to grow in the kingdom. I mean, some churches grow with... You know, bus ministry or Sunday school or this thing or that thing or the other thing. There's a lot of ways to rearrange people. But there's only one way to grow in the kingdom. And it's in love. There's only one way for your life to change. 
It's in love. From that central core flows all the issues of your life. And I'll show that to you before we leave this morning. From the central core of love flows, I hate to say the solution, it sounds so mechanical, but flows the healing. From the central core of love flows the healing, let's say it that way, for everything in your life. The restoration, the resolve, the determination. There's only one way to grow in God and it's to grow in love. Why do you think it is that some of the people that study the Bible the most are the meanest? Have you noticed this? Some of the people who go to the church the most are the most bitter. Have you, have you found that? Some of the people that are the most Christianized or the hardest people to get along with. Everybody at work hates them. Oh Lord, don't go over there near the shrine. The temple is setting up as we speak. <laughs> One Sunday afternoon, Stacy and I were leaving service and we went to a local restaurant to eat and there was a line so we were waiting there in the foyer and we sat down with our boys and this couple was sitting <laughs> just in an L shape right across from us there. And, uh, you know, you walk in, you just kind of scan a room to see what's going on. And I looked over there and, and they looked miserable. I looked at them, there they were. Sitting there, stone cold face, not talking. He had his full Sunday suit on. She had her dress on. They had their Bible and their bulletin and their notes, and their pen, their mints, breath mints, <laughs> car keys. And I'm telling you, what shocked me though is they had one foot long wooden crosses hanging around their neck. And they look like two bulldogs dressed up for church sitting there with crosses on their neck. I thought the cross was on their back. I didn't think it was on their neck. It was weighting them down. They looked like they were carrying that thing. And they looked miserable. They sat through the whole meal miserable. They sat a few tables away and they, I couldn't stop looking at them. I thought, God, they look miserable. Look like somebody's torturing them, putting bamboo shoots under their fingernails. They look terrible. And all I could think was... If that's what going to church does to you, I'm glad I don't look like I've been. Well, that's not, that's not what God's effect on people is, is it? I don't know where they had been or what they did at their church, but that's not, that's not God, is it? That's not what God does to somebody. You can read your Bible, you can pray and fast and study and go to services and meetings and listen to only Christian CDs and download everybody's favorite sermon on the internet and throw the old stuff you had from the world away and at the end of it, you might just be tired. <laughs> but if you're not growing in love, you're not growing. How do I know? Jesus told us the greatest commandment of all is Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Our solution in Christianity to grow is, all right, we're going to grow. It's like, it's like uh, boot camp. We're going to grow or we're going to kill you, whichever comes first. Either way, you'll be in heaven soon. <laughs> we're going to pray more. We're going to fast more. We're going to go to more services and we're going to live more Christian and we're going to turn the TV off more often and we're going to worship more and we're going to worship longer. Our theology has been add more. 
How can you add to the finished work of Jesus? You don't add to it. You just connect with it. You lock into his heart. You lock into his heart. How do you know if your love's growing? How do you know if your love's growing? Because your love for those around you will be growing. I'm not impressed with anyone's Christianity that is not producing a greater love in them for people. I don't understand. Forget pastors. How about just Christians? Get out of the way. I'm on my way to church. Stupid people. Why don't they all stay home? What is that about? Put that fish on your car and then act that way. What's that about? You can do all the right stuff. You can do everything you're supposed to do. But if your love for God's not growing, 1 Corinthians 13 says you're just making a lot of noise. Can I tell you, there's a whole lot of clanging going on out there. Just a lot of busy noise. Guilt and fear and obligation and shame never produce healthy, life-giving fruit. But love does. Love produces joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and self-control. Love produces those things. If your life is built on God's love, your life will be powerful and effective. If it's, if it's not, it may just be frustrating. Let me give you a growth test this morning, okay? I'll give you a growth test. Where are you at in your growth in God's love? Where are you at in your relationship with God? I'll give you one simple way. There's probably a bunch, but I'll give you only one this morning. How much has your heart changed recently for the person you love the least? Think, you don't have to think hard to know who you don't like, do you? I mean, you run into them everywhere. Walmart, they're there. Oh, they're there. Huh? The promenade, the restaurant, they drop by your house, they email you stuff, they're on Facebook constantly when you're there and they always pop in the chat. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know who you don't like. Right? It's rhetorical, you don't have to answer it. You know who you don't like, you know who you're having some issue with. Well, let's do a test. Who are you having trouble forgiving? Who are you holding a grudge against? Think about that for a minute as I share this story with you. I'll ask Micah to come. About four years into Stacy and I's marriage. Now, I have to say this uh, as a preference because you don't know us real well. My wife has only been wrong twice in our life. <laughs> I just want to get that out. We all okay? Only twice. This was one time. I don't... We had been married four years and, you know, we didn't have kids yet, but life was starting to stack up. And I, I, she, was, she was doing something 
just in the way we were living that was irritating the fire out of me. What's wrong with this woman? I felt like Adam. It was the woman that you gave me, God. know what demon that is but we need to get it out and I wish I could claim some unbelievable spirituality but if I I'd be lying so if I had to just tell you what really happened I'd have to say it just happened I'm not even saying God impressed it on me I just thought what should I do We've talked about it. We've argued about it. And she can't see straight on this one. How do I fix her in Jesus' name? (laughs) So, I read the Bible. hate when that happens. And it said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So I flipped around. I thought, is there anything else in there? I'm not liking that. And then I think God actually started getting through to me because I saw another verse that said, wives, submit to your husbands. And God said, black that one out. I'm not talking to you. Okay. I think I get, I see where we're going. So I just took a permanent marker and I blacked that out where I couldn't even read it in my Bible. It wasn't for me. So I'd sneak in in the morning and I decided what I'd do. And I I don't know. I just decided I'd pray for her. And I'd go in in the morning. At that time, our schedule was different. And she'd be asleep. And I'd sneak in, lay my hands on her. I'd start to pray. God, you got to fix this woman. I don't know what kind of trick this is you've played, but you've got to do something because this is out of control. A few weeks later, I'd pray for her again. And something started to happen. My prayer started changing. I'd pray and then I'd watch her through the day and look forward to change. Pray the next day and I'd look for her. Spying out in the driveway and binoculars through the blinds. Say, God, it's not working. She's not changing. Then I'd pray again. Thought, look at that wicked woman. She's enjoying this. Something's wrong. Something happened, though. I, I started to change my prayer and I started to pray, pray that God would bless her. I started to pray good things for her. And I realized something. I started to tap into God's heart. And I realized that he had a better heart for her than I did. And he wanted different things for her than I wanted. I wanted her to change. To relieve the pressure on my life. But God had a different plan. And I began to pray that plan. And I began to bless her. And I began to pray good things over her life. And I began to ask God to make her the woman of God that he's called her to be. And my heart started to change because my heart started to touch his heart. 
I thought I was praying about her. None of that was really about her. It was about me and him, and I didn't know it. Can, can I suggest to you that the issue that you think you may have with that person you love the least may have more to do with you and God than more to do with you and them? And I'm telling you, I, look, I feel hokey even telling you this. Because when people say things like this, I go, it's not true. It's not true. I'm a very practical person. So you just don't forget stuff, see? But God is my witness. I kept watching her to see if she'd change. And then over time, I got to the point I couldn't even remember what the issue was. I'm telling you the honest truth. And I'm not like that. I couldn't remember. I still can't remember. But you know what I do remember? Is I changed. God got a hold of my heart in a new way. And started working on me. And His love started filling my heart in such a transformational way that I can't even remember what we were talking about. Can I tell you, love is God's effect on people. You can't grow in God's kingdom unless you grow in love and the people that you think around you that God sent you to make you happy may not be there to make you happy. They may have been sent to make you holy. They may have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. To work some stuff out of you and through you. And God may be using them in an incredible way. Would you stand with me this morning? I know this. God is love. And He wants to put Himself in you in greater and greater and greater ways remember that Ephesian church I told you about that love good works and love to hate bad doctrine do you know that years before Jesus ever came and rebuked them for leaving their first love Paul the Apostle prayed for them. We only have four prayers of Paul the Apostle. One of them was for the Ephesian church. I want to read to you what his prayer was. I just think it's fascinating. Paul said, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. May have power together with all the saints. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know his love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.